0: all right welcome back to the church in your head podcast thank you for all of the listeners that are taking the time out of their day to hear us out uh, to join us as we continue to discover objective truths and and really where uh where we can look to um in addition to scripture which is kind of sounds controversial uh to give us uh, hope and absolute certitude um and knowing that what we're listening to and the doctrines we subscribe to are indeed true and, and aren't just uh, you know, a, a wave tossed in the wind. Um, so I am excited to talk about this uh, episode, Brandon. I hope you are. I think oh. we're, we're gonna dive right into it, but- I'm excited um,
1: to be back. Yeah, it's exciting. Let's do this.
0: We're, uh, we're gonna bring up something that is very uh, relevant to many, uh, and uh, we'll kind of paint the scenario um, for y'all in a minute, but uh, it's the idea of your interpretation versus my interpretation. Um, many of us have been in those situations where, uh, you are, whether it's a theology debate or you're talking to a Mormon at the door, you know, both come with their scriptures, right? Um, and I think this is where something, um, becomes a lot more real when you walk away realizing you didn't see any resolution. It just kind of, you know, they left with their, their grounds and what they believed to be true using the scriptures they had. And then you leave the same um you want to paint the picture a little bit more for us um before we kind of get into it brennan
1: yeah yeah no i think it's good i I think building off of uh our last episode you know regarding uh the idea of you know getting a box of legos you know going back to the analogy of somebody gives you that box of legos and the box in front of you says hey this is how it's supposed to be built um but then it's somebody comes and goes no I, you know, that's really, that wasn't what the intention was for these pieces, right? The pieces end up uh, being the scriptures, right? And we see now a days where you have people who they essentially discard the box and they're kind of building up their own ideas of truth with the the scripture text, right? And so we, we covered that last week. And so I think it's good to kind of now kind of dive into, I would say, the very first first person in history that the church dealt with where he had his verses and what he uh thought was true um well it definitely appeared to be true with the scriptures that he was presenting which i think this is what we see right when we talk to other people we see uh, a truth claim we see scripture proof texts and again that is supposed to settle the matter right it's like how come you don't see this In Scripture,
0: yeah. How come you don't see it? I think that that there's a a genuine side to those that do bring Scripture, or or, or in their head, they're really believing what they see is actually the right interpretation. And I guess maybe we should quickly answer the question: Why does it matter? Like, if you're reading the Bible, that's good. Like, maybe you get it wrong. So what? Like, how would you answer that um, to somebody that's like you're just splitting hairs now? Like, you're you're causing division if you go down this road.
1: Yeah, I mean. Why does it matter? I think, well, in the end of the day, I guess if truth is simply in your head, it it doesn't really matter because truth is simply your truth and then you have somebody else's truth. So really the concept of truth is having something object, objective and being outside of you and having some sort of a universal effect. Well that's a completely different ball game. And essentially that's what we're addressing in this podcast is if truth is objective and if it's outside of us, um, well then we should seek to align ourselves uh, with that truth. But if we're just talking about your truth and my truth, it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, really you can have your truth. I can have my truth and just don't try to say that my truth is wrong because my truth is in my head. Your truth is in your head or the church is in your head. And the church is in my head. Let me go to my church in my head. You go to your church in your head. But let's, what about the church outside of us? What about the real church? You know, because if the church is just in our head, it's almost just like this abstract concept. And we're like, okay, well, I just, this is what I have. I see these church fathers. I see these scriptures. That's all with my church. And you have your church. And this is what you see. And that's how it should be according to your truth. But if the church is real and it's outside of us, And and truth is coming to us from that church objectively. Well, let's dive into the first person who decided to go against that church with his scripture proof text. Let's just talk about Arius real quick, just to kind of give a quick review for the listeners. Um, So there wasn't, so the first ecumenical council that the church held was in 325 in Nicaea. Before then there was local councils and, and, and stuff going on to deal with various issues arising in the church. Well, specifically, there was a priest under the bishop of Alexandria, and this priest's name was Arius. Now, he presented his viewpoints in scripture-proof text to his bishop. Um, That bishop then ended up going, taking those ideas to the ecumenical council of Nicaea in 325. Now, here's the question. When you look at the council... And when we look at it, now just think of it like say we're not making this stuff up. We're just telling you history. Go back, look at this is what historically happened. The church looked at Arius's viewpoints, and then they decided no. And Arius presented the idea that Jesus was a uh, wasn't always an eternal being. He was, you know, he was at one point he was created. Right. Um, and Scott, why don't we? Before we go any further, why don't you bring some of the verses up that Arius used that are actually pretty. They sound pretty convincing. That Jesus, you know, was essentially, you know, he didn't always exist, and he just kind of appeared at one time, and he was created. Go, go ahead and.
0: Yeah, because what, what Arius was doing was no different than what you would see Jehovah's Witness or uh, Seventh Day Adventists or your Mormon friend that would come with their scriptures. And yeah, they may have a different version, but nonetheless, th- there are some some similarities. They would use, you know, they would argue which translations you might have. That might be a, a dividing point, but they in in theory they would have Scripture, and they would they would present it, and, and at face value, if if say you had a third party listening into the conversation, they would hear that person's argument, presentation, claim using that scripture, and it might even sound pretty convincing. I think I don't want to I don't want to negate that part because scripture it, it, it's powerful, obviously, and it's it's infallible. We know this by, by by the Holy Spirit, but the scriptures themselves can be twisted. Scripture says that, um, right, and so so here we have a scenario just like what I just talked about, but now we go back to Arius. And so Arius comes knocking at the door, if you will, in this, this scenario, um, just to make it more relevant and, and has his scriptures to prove that Christ was not just, wasn't divine. That wasn't the, you know, didn't come as a divine, um, person. And and it really, he started out as a created person that kind of had a temple, um, where God dwelled within him. And, So he had a scripture verses. so there's a couple of them that he used, and some of them do sound um, on the surface a little bit convincing. Uh, Revelation 3.14 was one of them. It says, These things said, Amen, the faithful witness and true, the beginning of the creation of God. You're going to see an emphasis here about this whole beginning um, created um, theme with his verses. Another one was Psalm 8.5-6, Thou made him. Uh, Proverbs 8.22-25, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before His works of old, when there were no past, I was brought forth. Um, and furthermore, he used Colossians three ten, where it talks about He's a firstborn, created of, of all things. And then finally, Isaiah, I think forty three, um, it talked about where there's no other gods form, there should be no more after. Um, and then he says right here, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no savior. And so. His emphasis to to support his claim that Jesus was merely created was he was bringing in the scriptures. So now you have his scriptures versus at this time the the bishop that's that's kind of looking at it, um, and he would have his scriptures. Now I guess this is where we want to kind of explain the implications of what we see now in modern day churches. At this point, no, most of the time it's agree to disagree, right? Where you'd probably yeah. The church either divides splits or a new denomination gets birthed out of it or or it's a it's a happy agree to disagree like okay i i see it like let's say modern day Arius. i see areas like it's convincing i still don't think you're right but it's okay so areas will then go start a different church that's kind of what you would see now but and we wouldn't really see that as problematic. And I, so I guess where you can come in, Brandon, is explain why that's actually very dangerous, even though we kind of accept it as a, a way of like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you didn't agree with me. You know, start your own church. It's all good. You know, we all believe in Jesus because Arius believed in Jesus too. Um, but what was problematic about Arius's view?
1: Well, I mean, I think with Arius, I mean, if you don't have, if the, uh, if the eternal son, I mean, if the son of God, he, if he is not divine, if he is not eternally begotten of the father, you know, sharing the same essence with the father, um, uh, you have something very problematic when it comes to salvation, because you have a creature who's who's dying on the cross for your sins, a creature. You don't have a divine person. Yeah. No. So if, if you don't have a divine person, um, well, that's very problematic because then it's like, uh, well... It, how is there any resurrection from the dead? How does the divine person overcome, destroy death um, take the keys of death? So, I mean, y- you really put yourself in a bind when you're just taking the son of God and just putting him as a, a just a created being. Um, that person on the cross needs to be a divine person, um, yeah. that person who's who's uh, who dies and that you know, his, his soul severed from his human body you know, has a, a, a human soul like us, since he shared our humanity. And I don't want to get too much into the Christology. I know we have much later, uh, you know, podcasts we can cover that on, but, you know, that's very, very problematic. Um, And somebody might say, well, you know, can't you just be general about it? Does it really matter? You know, Jesus Christ, you know, he died on the cross for our sins. And as long as we believe in Jesus, well, you could, I guess you could say, uh, yeah, am I going to judge somebody who doesn't believe just says, well, I don't know how to work it all out. But the problem is, is if you don't work it all out, like the councils is putting Arius in check here again, when you really look at it, when it's time for you to look into your theology, you're like, wait a minute, this, this is, so this, Jesus is just a creature. And it's like, how does that work? How, how is that work when it comes to my salvation? I mean, I, I thought, you know, so I think that's the council takes Arius's viewpoints and it was decided amongst the bishops. And the bishops, there was uh historically they say it was up like two hundred and fifty to three hundred and something bishops there.
0: Yeah, there's a lot and, of them.
1: And the conciliar decision, conciliar mind of and right, it bishops. was
0: conciliarism. You conciliar, want to kind of define that another big word. I mean, I mean, you know, <laughs>
1: conciliar. I mean uh you know, the the whole company of bishops of the church um, you know, coming together, making this decision, and essentially they're essentially having the mindset of the church we talk about the church of is the pillar and ground of truth well the church is not s- just some so and so who decides i'm going to start you know hillside bible church on uh, you know down the road but the church is the you know undivided council church, undivided yeah. you know council of bishops that is you know deciding essentially um with the holy spirit and this is key with the holy spirit if this is True or false, and the concept of truth being the church being the pillar and ground of truth, then we see that final decision.
0: So, going that back, that final to... decision
1: is made with the council. And this okay. is the thing, Arius, though. See, but we go back to this uh thing of proof text, though. You're like, well, but what if I'm convinced of Arius's view? Because he, I think Arius's view is clear in scripture. See, this is where we get to that point where we have to decide is it what so-and-so sees in scripture or is it what the conciliar church who is the pillar and ground of truth what do they see in scripture and it was the church also that we should be you know just we should bring this up that they're the ones who put these scriptures together so i think it's important to understand is like who do we who do we listen to in all of this do we listen to so-and-so individual who says oh you know i really see this in scripture or do we look at the concealer mind of the church, of all the bishops coming together and saying, "No, this is wrong." Yeah, and I, I think that's that's something that when we when we understand how this has unfortunately worked out in a lot of Protestant evangelicalism, we see a lot of dismissing councils to affirm what so and so sees clearly in Scripture, and I think. The danger of this is, is going to be, I mean, we're going to be discussing it with, with various other councils and various other heresies that were brought up, but I think it's for the listeners on this episode, I think with Arius really thinking, okay, do I do what Arius does on a regular basis? Does my church do this on a regular basis? And I mean, is my church or pastor in line with the conciliar bishops of the church who decided that? arius was wrong i mean when the bishops you know after they dispersed back to their uh provinces and you know their jurisdictions where they were overseeing and they said hey everyone arianism this view is not orthodox it is not right teaching this is not of the it's Holy heresy. Spirit. it is heresy uh and somebody were to say oh well i still see this in scripture in the end, it really doesn't matter what you see in Scripture. It, it the Church, it, which is the pillar and ground of truth, outside of you, not the Church in your head, not the truth in your head, the truth as it is decided, and the Church being the ground of truth, having that final say. And even in Acts, I think it was uh, Acts chapter twenty, I believe, Scott.
0: Fifteen where, or twenty, I remember.
1: Yeah, yeah, fifteen and twenty, where they they were getting together. And they were, and they made a very interesting statement. They said, it seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit.
0: Us being all of the apostles at the time. Us. This is Peter, yeah.
1: Yes. I think the idea of us, think about that for a second. When you read the scriptures, it, can we easily have the mindset of, it seemed right to me and the Holy Spirit. But, but you see in that verse, it seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit. You see, yeah. we don't have an objective Christianity if we keep making it about me and what I see in scripture. But the, you see the church as the pillar and ground of truth, the conciliar bishops coming together with that mindset of the Holy Spirit, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father. And, 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 and this the, is and, where we have the final say. This is where it's not, well, you have your verses, I have my verses. No. No, there is a church outside of you that has the truth outside of you that comes to you and shows you through revelation. We have the revelation of Christ through His church, and we have the truth through the church. But if we make it oh well, I'm going to start with my Bible and I'm going to look and see what I see clear in Scripture. You're, we're again we're assuming we're starting at the it's a wrong starting place because we end up building the church on our head. Our truth claim is simply just a concept in our head, and it doesn't remain outside of us an objective.
0: You're sounding so mean when you say that. It's so <laughs> offensive. Well, I mean, look at this, like back to what Arius, you know, let's say he's in our house in modern day on the couch and he's, he's again, pulling out the verses. Yeah. You're not seeing it. He's not seeing it. And again, what we would typically see is this kind of like agree to disagree. He does his own thing. What we're trying to say that becomes very dangerous is in the case of Arius back in the time of that first council around the 300, 325 AD, that ultimately birthed, because he was very convincing. It actually his church, if you will, grew, right? He didn't just like get condemned and then shut up and was silent. No, he 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 was so convinced in his own mind that what his claim about who Jesus was was actually the correct dogmatic view. And what, what implications of that led to this heresy that ultimately birthed into what we probably say in modern day times is a Jehovah's witness. They also would have believed they probably use the same verses. If not, I think they do to also claim that Jesus wasn't God, that he was just a man, a person who eventually became God. Mormons might have something very similar and Arius, as convincing as he was We couldn't just accept this whole like, all right, you're not seeing it and I'm not seeing it. We just should stop here. What you're saying and what we and I agree with this is that the the undivided church, they get all the bishops together as the objective way to solidify, to verify and to to be that third party, if you will, uh, to to make a statement of truth that, okay, X is right and Y is wrong, because right now I think we've gone away from that. And we just kind of just accept that it could be X or Y, right? It could be your version or my version. And then we find this kind of lowest common denominator, or as long as you still believe in Jesus, we're fine. Because, I mean, Arius did believe in Jesus. It, yes. in, in theory, right? He believed yes. in a type of Jesus, but he would say, Oh yeah, you're right, Scott. Like, uh, we both believe in Jesus. Let's go out and just love people and whatnot. And I think at that point that story would look fine and people would have no beef over it. And the reason why I said that you're mean is because doing that in modern times now is, is very divisive and offensive because you're basically saying, Hey, you're not only you're wrong on, on what you believe to, that you see in scripture to be true, this actually can lead to very dangerous and, and problematic issues. And and as you, if you looked at the first episode that we talked about, the big emphasis is around false doctrine, wolves in sheep's clothing, you know, the, these people that come in and try to devour the flock and to use heterodox, um, her- heretical views and, and try to like, you know, get them seeped inside of the church. And ultimately it's the, the, the aim of which is to get your soul uh, severed, right? Your salvation, you know, Revoked, if you will, from the person who decides that um, they don't need God anymore. Whatever the doctrine, bad doctrine can lead you astray. We know that, and we want to know how we can identify that. And I think this is a good example of of what we may have forgotten. I've I've done that growing up in the church. I never thought about this idea. I just thought, hey, as long as I have a Bible and we're all reading it together, we're good. But never did I ever think about the implications of what if I'm reading something incorrectly. And furthermore, what if my interpretation or version of that is actually dangerous?
1: Right. Right. And I think that's the sad part about it is that when we put people ignorantly into these paradigms where they're in these churches where, um, you know, let's have a Bible study, but there's no objective way for that person to come out of that Bible study knowing what's bad for them. I mean, if they if somebody could be, you know, uh, encouraging a heresy that they don't even know is a heresy because there's no objective way to know because it's simply just, oh, that's really good. I never saw that before in Scripture. I mean, it's like people are essentially like, you know, the box of Legos are just thrown into the middle of the room, uh, box of Legos being the, the Bible. And everybody's just kind of building and be like, oh, that's kind of nice. Oh, I never I never thought about that concept. Never thought about that it could say that, that the Scriptures could say that before. Um, and there's no way to put anybody in check. And it, it's it, it can, can become a heresy fest, and you know, doctrines of demons essentially, uh, that that could be leading people down just various paths that ultimately lead them away from Christ and ultimately them uh just giving up the faith. And that's what's sad. It's like the church. It, you know, when, when it's good intentions is right. We want to be ecumenical. We want to accept everybody and, and, you know, not become, you know, so strict and, Oh, you don't have to be strict on your dogma. You know, we all just love Jesus. The problem is, is that you, you kind of have to ask the question, which Jesus do you love? And, 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 you know, have you thought about why the councils uh, were so strict on making sure you had the right Jesus? I mean, because the Mormon can come and say they love Jesus, the Jehovah's Witnesses can come and say they love Jesus. The thing is, though, is if it's not the true Jesus, which Paul uh, rebuked the Corinthians and said, "There's some who come to you that that preach a different Jesus." I mean, that's. I mean, if 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 that's not a red flag, I mean, we 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 need to make sure that we have our Christology. Uh, correct, you know, our doctrine of who Christ is, uh, because it really does affect everything. And, and and I think it's, uh, you know, something as we will expound on in further episodes. Uh, but it becomes this thing where the mindset of just what you see in scripture is allowed to continue to, to happen, um, just sets us all up for failure.
0: Yeah, especially we, when we we're need looking help. for truth. Yeah, we need help from outside of us. And I think there's nothing wrong with saying that. And, you know, with with this first example of of scripture versus scripture, we can conclude that, yes, the universal undivided church did condemn that interpreted viewpoint of areas. And and we we since then have, have hung on to that. And so you can almost say, like, if you are talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, you say, we don't even need to go to the Bible you've already been condemned, your, your, your worldview, if you will, has already been dealt with in, in the year 300. Uh, you know, it's, you're just regurgitating an old heresy in some regards. And I think that's where uh, it becomes important for us to know that this, this third party, this the, the universal church, the, the life of the church, some people like to call it, has given us the ability to have absolute certitude that we are receiving sound doctrine, doctrine that won't cause us to stray, um, even in spite of all the temptations of the world and, and the polls that the world might offer, you know, sound doctrine keeps you grounded. It's it's, it's through humility um, and, and you know, focus on knowing that it's not about what I come to the table with and in my interpretation or how fancy I want to be in my church or how I want to make my church like the world. It's accepting that it's already built for us, like the Legos, right? We have the box and we get to look at it and it's it's incumbent on you to to look at it, you know, to be humble enough to say it, it does exist. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. And I think that's going to be a great segue as we get down to these other shows around the the, the idea of how do I find this concili- conciliaristic, you know, mindset or, or the, the conciliar church? How do I go and identify that? We're just starting. And, and this is kind of a more of an introduction to the councils. But we would say, you know, back to your Jehovah's Witness friend, like, we would unanimously agree that the council, the first council has dogmatized that Aries is wrong, that that viewpoint is wrong, and this is what's right. And and that's it, right? And so yeah. you have to accept it as infallible because what, let's go there really quick. Well, let's say someone's like, okay, I see Aries may have just misunderstood the scriptures, but it's okay. Um, we don't need to take this as like infallible. I think they just were more convincing than Aries. That might be an <laughs> argument might have. What would you say to that?
1: Well, that's the the idea of, you know, was the council just a glorified Bible study? Um, and if it was, then yeah, I mean, you know, the, there was just their opinion. Um, but if it, if it like in acts, if when the uh, bishops come together um, and they said it seemed right to good to us and the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit was leading them, um, then you have a decision that is final. And the thing about it is, is it will. Well, what if I just want to believe it was glorified Bible study and the uh, Holy Spirit leads certain individuals? Well, the logical conclusions of uh, logical conclusions of that is is chaos. Essentially, we have no way of of understanding truth. We have you have your truth. The Holy Spirit's leading you into your truth. Holy Spirit's leading you and leading me into my truth. There's no actual truth again. See if see if you're looking for objectivity and you take the road of simply, you know, councils were just, yeah, they, they got some things right. some things wrong. I mean, everything is arbitrary and subjective. So it's like, you cannot just say, okay, well, I, I just want to say that they were right here and, and they were wrong here. No, no. It's the, the councils, if they aren't the, uh, if the church is an objective, it's if it's not outside of us and if it doesn't have the final say, then in the end of the day, Everything is simply opinion. It's your truth. It's my truth. It's Arius's truth. Um, yeah. There's there's no objective way to have objectivity. Essentially, that's that's the problem with with going with the route of well, the council is not is not being led by the Holy Spirit, which we could say with uh you know with if it if if they weren't led by the Holy Spirit, yeah, that's just opinion. But if they are, you could essentially say that was infallible because yeah. it was the Holy Spirit leading them. As a conce- the conciliar body of bishops, not one individual bishop. We want to be very clear. Yeah. It's not one super bishop, one individual bishop, one individual. No, it's the conciliar mindset of the church that ultimately has access to the mind of God. And that is very, uh, could be a little deep, but I think it's important to understand that. Because if they don't have access to the mind of God through the Holy Spirit, then we really are just in a big speculation
0: fest. Well, we should also here. just... then. Then there's, I, I think that, that gives way to, if you just looked at the councils as glorified Bible studies, then maybe they would give you like, okay, that was round one, right? Council one, that was a win for the, the bishops. They were more convincing because it all comes down to the intellect, right? The intellect is the highest faculty at that point. And they were just more persuasive than Arius. But either way, your conclusion is still... They, they weren't infallible. They just did a good job being convincing. The problem with that is it does lead to this open-ended, like you said, this chaotic approach where what we've seen that has came from that has birthed individual prominent figures in history past that have a, a similar viewpoint, uh, not viewpoint, but a similar perspective that Arius had in terms of the reach, the, the ability to be persuasive. And they would essentially become kind of the, 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 uh, the standard in which how we ought to look at the scriptures. So they represent the church, if that makes more sense, the one person. And there's multiple figures down Christian history, both within the Christian paradigm church, as well as outside of the Christian church with figures like you know, Joseph Smith or Charles T. Russell for the Jehovah's Witness um, in particular. Um, these, these individual figures, because if, you, if you're, I mean, what you can't say they're wrong. I guess would be that also the logical implications, right? If, if right. there's a head of that church that says, "Up, oh, you know, we might be in schism or we might be different." Uh, this is why I believe we're right, and the, the one guy or even some sex would have the one female would have their their arguments, and and they would their interpretation would be unanimously agreed on with the the, the community or groups of people that they've kind of gotten to latch on to them. You as a person that's kind of arguing with them, you really can't say they're wrong because you yourself has also have also agreed that well if the councils were just go, this is going back to glorified Bible studies of the councils. There, if there's no infallible Holy Spirit driven guided um, uh, I guess approach with the, when the bishops met together to go against these arguments using different scriptures, um, then the, the chaotic mess does start to present itself. And as I've kind of walked through that, it, it's a lot it's really ugly. You got individual figures as well as groups of people. Um, and I, I hate to say, it, but the, a lot of this is also within the tr- the Christian church too. Um, that's why we talk about, you know, the different um, paradigms of, you know, there's the Protestants, the Roman Catholics, Orthodox, you know, there's a reason why there's a lot, there's differences. In it. And I think a lot of that is birthed from many more in the evangelical church with looking at, history is not really relevant. It's kind of like they, they helped us, but we've matured. I heard one guy say that too. He's like, you know, we don't look at church history that had it all right. And there's, there's some parts where you can maybe say, yeah, sure. But when it comes to doctrine and all that, that's an ongoing, growing developmental activity. And here we are 2000 years later, we're a lot more mature than the days of Arius in the, in the year 300. I mean, that that's kind of a silly argument, but nonetheless, it gets brought up. Um, but, like you said, it leads to chaos, and now we see that, especially in the in the Western um, sphere of Christianity, right?
1: Yeah, we and that's sad. I mean, we do see it everywhere, right? We see multiple denominations. We see multiple schools teaching uh, you know various seminaries, very various different theological viewpoints. Um, and it's interesting because after Arius's views were condemned at the uh, Council of Nicaea three twenty five, Arius continued to go off and, you know, he he started school, he started going and and, and a lot of people started being swayed by his beliefs. So it really wasn't, uh, you know, really put down, I believe, till the, till the next council. Um, But that's sad though, because essentially you kind of see the same thing happening again, right? So-and-so sees something clear in scripture. Uh, Somebody comes up to them to to confront them, you know, this, Hey, this is not right. This is not what the church has always believed and received um but it doesn't matter. So they take it, they run with it, they get a crowd of followers and then that crowd of followers continues to grow and grow and grow. They start a school. Uh pretty soon they have a big network of churches. Now they have seminaries. Um and really everything that they're going with, it's the church in their head. Arius started the church in his head. He started his school, he got his followers, but it was the true church that actually comes against him and ultimately prevails against him because this is Christ's church he's going up against.
0: And this isn't get, the church they, in your head. Confirmation, right? Don't they? Uh, it comes from the Nicene Creed, right? Like, isn't there a outcome that is is presented once they do condemn Arius? I think that the nice thing is we see what they did indeed dogmatize. I think that's important to know is that in the council, when they were going against, um, at the time with, with somebody that's presenting an argumentation for a a perspective of Christ or the, the Trinity or whatever, um, in this case it'd be Jesus. Um, they condemned him and, and they would then dogmatize what was true. So they even made it a little bit easier to say, okay, now I can look back and see, okay, what did they come? What was the conclusion out of it? And, um, if you want to bring up that piece of the Nicene Creed, um, that many Christians would probably affirm, or at least have heard at one point, uh, I know higher churches and liturgical churches do it often, but, um, maybe just a non-denominational church may have not, they don't chant it, but they probably would attest and agree to it. That birthed out of this initial council, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when you're looking in the Nicene Creed here, um, you say, uh, you know, I, you know, we believe in one God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages.
0: There it is. God from God,
1: light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. And for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and he was made man. So you can continue and go on and read the rest, but that's it. We can stake our claim on the church that Christ established with his bishops who fought against these heresies for us. You're seeing a, a God who not only comes and incarnates, takes on our suffering, which is a result of our sin, obviously, um, you know, overcomes sin, death, and the devil, ascends back up to the Father, And then he sends his Holy Spirit to guard the truth for us, to give us the truth objectively, because he loves you. I mean, at the end of the day, when you ask the question, why would God be so specific on the doctrines and dogmas that I need to know? Because he loves you. He knows that you have a real enemy. Satan wants to destroy you, and his demons seek to deceive you every day. And they do it very crafty they'll do it through sincere preachers they do it through people that seem very nice and want to help you but if you don't look to the councils for the objective filter per se the truth outside of you to compare with so-and-so's truth claim you can fall prey to these doctrines of demons so that's how i think we should you know probably end it about right yeah, here today really to let good. them meditate on that because we're not saying we're not doing this podcast to pick on your church. We're doing this because a, a church in your head is dangerous, but the church outside of you that Jesus Christ established, that is the church you want to align yourself under. And I think next week, I mean, uh, you know, or next, next time we do a podcast, we should maybe start breaking into how do we align ourselves with with a church like that and uh you know kind of get ourselves maybe away from teachers or preachers who could be uh hurting us
0: yeah i think that is that's well said i think it's a great ending point and you know we'll we'll transition to trinitarian you know theology and and everything starts with the trinity i think we want to make that as an emphasis as well so um really good stuff hopefully those are listening or feeling comforted by that god is real uh and he's personal And he's done all that he is capable and and beyond our ability to understand his capabilities of providing us with the truths in which we can see and discover and to hold on to that as comforting. Um, So till next time, thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.
1: Thank you.